Guys, I have a confession to make. Hello and welcome to the One Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian McCourt. Joining me today is Paddy Higgs. Hello. Casper Schmick. Hello. And Fabian Gorsler. Hi, guys. Now, i got to start off with a question for all of you. A really important question. What frustrates you about modern life? That's what I want to know. I want to know what really grinds your gears. And, you know, take things like war, poverty, Kim Kardashian selfie books. They're a given. They're all, they're all in that same sort of league that annoys everybody, right? But I tell you what, I'll give you my example first to get us going. People who don't say thank you when you hold open the door for them. God, that really, really gets me. I think, I don't, I don't want to blow my own trumpet here, but I think I have got perfect door etiquette. I'm a gentleman about it. And when people don't reciprocate this, I, I agree. It, my, my blood just boils and my, my, the, my temples start throbbing. It really, it really gets to me. What do you do in that situation? Yeah, when uh, they don't say thanks. Well, I'm nice and passive aggressive about it. Yeah, say, yeah. no worries. No worries. Yeah, I mate. say no yeah. worries. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Or oh, that's okay. You're yeah. welcome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To their back as they to walk their away. back as they walk <laughs> away. Of course, I'm not going to say anything aggressive yeah. to their face. So. Do Do you think that's um, a German thing? Or did you Did you feel that in Germany more no, than in no, England? No, no, no. This This is interesting that you mentioned this. In a previous life, I lived in London, and I found that the door thank you policy was very poor there. In Germany, they're all about it. Uh, even in my building, yeah. even in my building, when I'm walking up and down the stairs, the people say hello to me. Like they're, you know, like we're good friends and I've only ever met them once or twice. It's because you haven't had a loud party there yet. They're still yeah, that's friendly. true. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> because I believe, I mean, I used to live in England in my previous life and I believe uh, the English are much more respectful to each other um, oh. with these kind of things. Yeah? And, and Berlin especially, you know, is quite rude and it's probably good manner to be a bit rude about it, you yeah. know, and sort of ignorant about your etiquettes and well, all that. Maybe you need to move into my building. Uh, no. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. I'm I'm with Casper a little bit. The customer service in Berlin is is really poor. It's oh, like shoddy. Their best skill at a cafe is not making eye contact. Yep. You know, so you literally have to grab them. Yeah. Is this something that really grinds your gears though or have you got something that more a bit more annoying than I that? was thinking about this I got a couple of things one is when people text while walking on the street and have no idea where they're going <laughs> like I just one day I just want to pretend I'm texting and just give them a big like bump you know just and stick just like, the shoulder oh sorry in? and we look at each other and we both realize we're texting so there's no you know Sorry to interrupt. This is exactly the point I was wanting to make. Ah, sorry, Casper. Slow walking people on the sidewalk because I like to like to be in a stride, a bit like fast walker. You've got long legs. It makes sense. Hate people not being aware of their surroundings. You know, (laughs) just just sort of stopping on a really really tiny sidewalk in the middle of Berlin and just like looking up in the air or or texting (laughs) or something, (laughs) and you are there bumping into them with your baby stroller. Probably, guys, I have a confession to make. I walk and text. You would, you would be one and of I've those. I've crashed people. into light posts and post boxes before, <laughs> and it really hurt. It was quite embarrassing. See, I would like you know the the local government to introduce more sharp edges on the street, so people <laughs> who are texting while walking run into these and actually might get a little bit of a cut, a natural selection, yeah, and you're just selection. like, well, you know, like. By the third time you've cut yourself, you should know not to text on the street. That's not the worst idea I've ever heard. (laughs) Or these traps, you know? Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what else would be a good idea on streets? 
if they had, you know, when you go into airports and they have those uh, kind of travelators on yeah, the floor, sure, yeah. imagine they had them on the streets. Wouldn't that be a brilliant it idea? It sounds a little bit like iRobot though or something, yeah. doesn't it? We're all getting into a George Orwell novel when that oh, sort yeah, of maybe. tends to happen. Fab? Well, I've got a few things, but the thing that really, really annoys me is when people eat with their mouth open. Um, I'm just, I, I guess I was brought up big on, you know, dinner or table etiquette and, uh, you know, no elbows on the table, no, sh- you know, in German you say schmatzen, right? Chewing loudly. And, oh, it's just so disgusting and it just makes me feel sick inside. And I don't want to like bash Americans, but I went to college in America and there were a lot of those at my uni and it really, really annoyed me. The elbows on the table, I don't mind. Really? Yeah. Why? Yeah. I'm with you. I mean, your elbow's got to go somewhere. Yeah. No, you put your, you put your <laughs> wrist on the table an easy answer. and then, you know, you eat with your other hand. Or you use two hands to eat, but you don't rest your elbows on the table, right? Yeah, absolutely right. I mean, my mom was big into this. Yeah, my mom too. (laughs) I'm just like, get comfy on there, man. Like, enjoy your dinner. (laughs) It's it's a pleasurable experience. Fun fact on on that one with, you know, having dinner together and all that. Wayne Rooney, uh, until he was 14, never had a meal with his family, you know, like a sit-down meal together. What? Like breakfast, lunch, or dinner. Really? Yeah, it's a... What, what, what did they do for Christmas? Well, I don't know. Like, Where did he eat? Here's Where your did mouth bar. Yeah. Uh, like, uh, enjoy. Happy birthday, yeah. Wayne. Take your cake to your bedroom. Yeah. <laughs> 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 also, yeah, I, I was meant to say one more. Baby corns, they make no sense whatsoever. They taste nowhere near as good as the real corn. And they, they're, they're a disease. They're a plague on my Asian meals. Yeah, yeah. yeah, true. Baby yeah. corn, you've been warned by Paddy Higgs. Yeah. Okay. Um, <clears throat> As, as frustrating and as annoying as, as all of those are, it can't in any way match to the frustration of being an Arsenal fan. <laughs> I, uh, one of our, our blogs, Daily Cannon, um, you know, I, uh, I shouldn't take any enjoyment in their uh, displeasure, but I've got to say I do have a bit of a laugh when I read through their Twitter feed during or after a game because uh, you can really feel the frustration. Every, every club supporters think they've got it worse. You know, Spurs have got a few um, claims to that as well, but, yeah, uh, Arsenal supporters, yeah, right. they're I up mean, there. For those of you who missed it, Arsenal were 2-0 up and cruising to victory at Upton Park at the weekend when all of a sudden up stepped that man, that ponytailed, <laughs> that ponytailed Adonis, Andy Carroll, and this is the point I want to get to here. Andy Carroll should be on that plane for England to the Euros. Now, before you laugh, before you all interject, <laughs> just look at that hat trick at the weekend. He's brilliant in the air. Slavin Bilic described him as one of the best headers of the ball he'd ever seen. He holds up the ball brilliantly. I mean, you saw it all. He's a big dude. He can do it. He's also got decent agility for such a big dude, right? He offers something that I think... On a more serious note, he does offer something that the other England strikers don't necessarily uh, give to Roy Hodgson. I don't think he should start for England. That should be Kane and uh, Vardy. Vardy, yeah. But um, off the bench, bring on big Andy Carroll. I mean, I agree with you. I was going to say he offers something none of the other players do. He's a totally different animal and he shouldn't start. But you just, you know, if you're losing, you're 1-0 down. He's kind of England's Fellaini. You stick him in there, you cross the ball, you hit the ball into the box. He can either do something himself, like he proved against Arsenal, or he'll knock it down to one of the midfielders or his strike partner to finish. 
uh, it's a bit weird. I actually find myself agreeing with both of you. Um, so during oh, this is odd. Yeah, during the, if if Casper agrees, we, the, the podcast's going to blow up. Um, <laughs> the, the, during the 2006 World Cup, um, Australia um, had some quite talented players, and, and you know probably did okay to get outside the group. Um, but they had this chap called Josh Kennedy who played a couple of times in Germany for a couple of clubs in Germany, and basically it was 198 centimeters. And if 198 centimeters. Yeah, if in doubt, they would just chuck him on um, with the last 15 minutes, cause a bit of trouble. I remember against the um, bringing them on against Japan, changed the game. Um, it's the argument you could make with with Andy Carroll and Josh Kennedy. Certainly never played any Premier League, so you know in Germany, uh, didn't he? Uh, he did, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's played a bit of Bundesliga, but yeah, but not to any great success, but could play that role of offering something different off the bench. Yeah. And Carroll has actually scored against big teams. You know, he scored twice against Chelsea, Southampton, Liverpool, and now a hat-trick against Arsenal. So, so you agree- can do it in the big games. You're yeah. agreeing too? Well, I was kind of prep to agree but um, <laughs> ah, well, but, um no, I think I cut, think um, cut we're, we're over this, this is how this is done <laughs> but I mean for once England don't have a striker problem you know since Alan Shearer's days I would say so yeah, um, you 90, can only take 96. 23 players I think so um, you know you have Vardy and Kane of course then you still have Rooney um, you might have Welbeck somebody so Sturridge Sturridge yeah. I mean I, I think yeah he, he's a different kind of guy but then obviously Hodgson would have to change tactics you know just long balls into into the box and um sort of put the game on the wings i'd pick him ahead of storage Ooh, uh, yeah. and so who would be your four and a half or five strikers well you probably bring four to a squad of, sure. uh, yeah. for the euros uh vardy and kane for sure yeah uh rooney's going to go anyway mm-hmm. because he's captain i don't know if he'll start but he's going and then i'd bring carol oof that's a solid lineup. Walcott wouldn't even get close to the squad. No, I mean, that. we're not discussing Walcott. Yeah. What about Carroll's personality? I mean, he's not known to be a quiet, quiet guy, huh? So I think that would be good for the squad. Might he be a bit of a disrupting factor in the squad? No, no, no. I think yeah. that sort of thing would go down well in the England squad. As opposed to Jack yeah. Wilshire, for example. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, I think, it would, I, think he's, I think he's probably well-liked amongst the players. Yeah. I don't know. I'm just guessing. But He's maybe a bit of a Kevin Grosskreutz type. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, anyway, um, Andy Carroll will be playing again this week, so we can have another look at him when West Ham take on Manchester United in the FA Cup. So are you just annoyed that he's not in the thinking or not being taken seriously? I think I'm annoyed that he's not being taken seriously. Yeah. I think he's a good player. Okay. Yeah. But getting back to it, yeah, Man United to take on West Ham in the FA Cup. Um, you might remember uh, they had an Irish midfielder a couple of years ago called Roy Keane. Roy? Roy Keane. Keane. You might have you might have heard him. He was he was an okay midfielder. I remember Robbie Kane. <laughs> Is that his brother? <laughs> not quite, not quite. But um, so Keane, as every good ex-pro, has released an autobiography, and part of it he mentions about Ferguson, what Ferguson would do before Tottenham games. None of this tactics nonsense or motivational talk. Ferguson would just poke his head into the dressing room and say, "Lads, it's Tottenham," and every time United would go out and hammer Tottenham but not this time (laughs) not this weekend I think the last time if I'm correct now and I think I am the last time Tottenham beat Man United at home was the final day of the 2000-2001 season when United had won the league at Easter Fab where did it all go wrong yesterday? Was it I mean there's a lot of things we can say here was it Ashley Young being played at centre forward Juan Mata being played as a right midfielder I would pinpoint two and a half mistakes that Van Gaal made, right? And this is going to contradict my point later a little bit, 
but I think he got the lineup wrong to begin with. He pulled Rojo from the game last week at halftime, and now Rojo's starting again. Why not start Darmian from the start? He's been the better player all season. Uh, Fosu Mensa was immense, so that was a good choice. But why is Rojo playing? So that was the first mistake. The second mistake was playing Mata. Mata is a 1-0 player. I've said it so many times in the newsroom. He's a player that you play when you're winning. He can't unlock defenses. He he was just... Oh, I, I can't believe he still starts on the right wing. Lingard offers more down the middle, so he's not playing in the middle. Why is he playing on the wing? If you're going to bring Young on anyway, play Young on the wing from the start. He played quite well for the under-21s um, last time out. So why isn't he starting? I mean, I, I get the whole fitness thing, but Young should be starting over Mata any day. Also, Mata might be the slowest football I've ever seen. And putting him up, oh against, my God. Putting him up against Danny Rose, who's lightning quick, just seems illogical to me. I mean, I don't know about the other guys, but it, if you watch the game, but Mata is so bad defensively as well. Like, with the fullbacks pushing up, he doesn't, you know, he doesn't track back enough. And when he does track back, players just blow past him. On one of the goals, one of the center backs, or I think it was the right back, Darmian, he was out of position. And Mata, looking down the field, he should see that. He should track back. But he was 20, 30 feet away from the player who ended up scoring. So, um, you know, Mata should get nowhere near the first team. And I think he should be sold in the summer. These odd selection choices by Van Hal yes. suggest to me that a manager who's not I mean, publicly, he's very confident in what he's doing, but privately, it suggests to me that he doesn't really know what's going on at Man United. But you still believe that he's the person to take charge of them next season? I coming am. up against Guardiola, coming sorry, up sorry. against Conte. What did you just say? I am still LVG in, hashtag. <laughs> uh, Do we, Paddy? Oh, he's so mixed up, he doesn't know that the hashtag comes before <laughs> the, the words anyway. What's your, what's your reasoning behind this? <laughs> okay, so I think we'd all like to hear this. I could go on for days. I could have a whole... We'll set. give you a minute or two. Okay, a minute yeah. or two. So... I think the rebuilding job at United was much bigger than people anticipated. And I think the on-pitch product is about 25% of that rebuilding job. He has gotten rid of old players or players that were not good enough on huge contracts. Nani, Van Persie, Rio, Kagawa. He just didn't fit. I mean, he'd be great behind someone like Rooney, just saying. But he got rid of those. He got rid of Di Maria a year after he came because he didn't settle. He got quite a good price for him. We only made an eight million loss, eight million pound loss. So he got rid of the dead weight. He's brought in some decent squad players. And if you look at the squad now, if you compare it to what Moyes left, Moyes left a squad that needed six or seven first team players. You look at the squad now, we need maybe two or three first team players. And we have a really young core and a very attractive team to take over for the next manager. And that's why I think he could still, if he has one more summer transfer window, he can get them into the top three, maybe top two in the Premier League. Paddy, if you were Ed Woodward, would you give Van Hal another transfer window to spend $150 million? I think Ed Woodward's another discussion too, to be honest. But um, I think, you know, Fab's made some good points there. But I think you can also argue that Van Hal has, has dropped the ball a few times tactically this season. And uh, there's probably been some doubts um, rising whether he's actually equipped for the modern game as it is in the EPL. Um, I think, you know, I think you're right. The squad is probably getting better. Um, and if some younger players like Depay actually take the step that people 
assume that they will at some point, then it's going to be a far better squad. And it, you know, it sometimes it only ta- it only takes two or three players to change, and then it, it everything looks a hundred percent better. But I still have my doubts on whether Van Hal's actually, if if maybe the game has passed him by a little bit. I totally agree with you. Yeah. I think uh, Van Gaal hasn't evolved his own tactics, you know, his own understanding of the game, um, or sort of being ahead of the game. Um, like you know, Guardiola constantly changes, you know, his tactics and and his approach to the game. So um, I agree with you on the young players. I think that's that's a you know great feature of Van Gaal. But um, on the other hand, if you look at Di Maria, um, you know, another manager would have made it work. And Di Maria is an is an outstanding player who could have been a a big asset to United for the 300 millions or whatever they spent on uh, on players in the past two seasons. I think it's a disgraceful job he's doing. That's a, it's a, I wouldn't quite use those words, but I see where Casper's going. I mean, Di Maria wasn't living under a rock. You know, it wasn't this kid that they got off the streets in Argentina. You know, we, we were all, everyone was well aware of what sort of player he was, and yet they spent that much money and. It went bad after a couple of months. To me, that's the most damning indictment of Van Hal's reign is that he couldn't get a player like who, like um, Angel Di Maria, to come in and fit into that squad. To me, he's the sort of player that you could build a team around. This is the guy who was fantastic for Real Madrid in that season and had just been the man of the match in the Champions League final. That Van Hal can't get that player to work, to me. Just it happened it, at every club Van Gaal worked at Rivaldo, um, Ribéry at Bayern. I mean, he he always it's almost like he he has this task of um, of achieving it, you know, of falling out with one of the big stars. <laughs> but I think Stubborn. just a quick rebuttal here about the tactics. First, um, last season we were scoring a lot of goals, but we were letting in a lot of goals. Then he shored up the defense. We were hardly conceding goals, but we weren't scoring as many. So he has made tactical adjustments when necessary. So I don't think his tactics are as outdated or as rigid as people say they are. And then to Di Maria, I don't think he wanted to be at Manchester United from the beginning. He wanted PSG, but they couldn't buy him because of FIFA fair play or financial fair play. And so this was a way for him, like a stepping stone to PSG. And I mean, he was fantastic when he first started, but then he really dropped off. And Young was fantastic in keeping keeping him out of the team. So it wasn't just Van Gaal dropping him. It was Young really playing out of his skin and Di Maria really not caring enough to put in a shift for the team. Uh, Prediction for Wednesday night then? Ooh, Paez going to score a free kick, but I think United is going to win 2-1. Paddy? Um... Yeah, I, th- I I think United will squeeze through. I'm not exactly sure what the score will be, but I, I think they'll squeeze through. West Ham are a good side, but I think United now will get something to salvage from this season. I think West Ham are going to win 2-1. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> Your hashtag won't be trending. <laughs> <laughs> Pleasure to be here. On the line to talk all things German is author and journalist Uli Hesse. Uli, maybe we could start with the match at the weekend between Dortmund and Schalke. What did you make of the team selection from Dortmund? Was it a sign that Tuchel has given up on the title and is putting all his eggs in a Europa League basket? Well, you know, it was um, the problem with the derby was there was right smack in the middle of um, you know the two Liverpool games, uh, very important games, also very emotional games. And it felt, you know, you could feel this on Thursday. Normally, when you have a game before a derby, no matter the score, 
the last 15 or 10 minutes, the whole ground is chanting, you know, we have won the Derby Zeke. You know, we want to win the Derby to get the players in the mood. And it was almost as if they forgot about it on Thursday. You know, and nobody sang. It was just towards the end, they kept jumping up and down and singing a, so- a Schalke song. But apart from that, it was very, very strange. And I remember that I talked to a few journalists at the game and I said, it will be interesting to see what happens if Bayern drop points against Stuttgart. You know, I just, I, on Thursday, I felt that Tuchel would rest a few players away at Schalke. You know, he's done that all season long and it's always worked out well. But it was really, the question was, you know, if, if Bayern had maybe drawn away at Stuttgart, then he might have been in a position where, he, you know, he felt forced to, to feel the first 11 um, because this might have been the very last chance at, you know, winning the league title. And I think after, after Bayern uh, won that game, it was always clear that he would make um, um, some, some, some changes to the team and would, would um, you know, rotate. Uli, you uh, wrote a story um, with Dortmund a couple of years ago, uh, quite a notable one for 442, in which they featured on the front cover. And, um, you know, speaking to you previously, you got some really good insights on uh, the, uh, I guess, the personality that Klopp had brought um, to this Dortmund team. Um, it's been obviously, uh, well, we're obviously towards the end of, of Tuchel's first year. Um, what insights do you have maybe so far with Tuchel and how does it differ, you know, in terms of that, that team culture, um, in your opinion? Um, looking at everything now, you know, hindsight is perfect vision. It, it seems that everything w- worked out well. It was uh, Klopp probably stepped down at precisely the right moment. Um, um, and they probably brought in precisely the right person as the new coach. He's not, you know, he's not as popular as, as Klopp was, you know, with the fans. And he never will be. He's a totally different character. But it was it's really, you know, the, the interesting thing is that um, what many people forget about Klopp is that when he came in, uh, in 2008, I mean, when he came to Dortmund, his job was not to bring silverware to the club. You know, that was just a bonus, so to speak. But he was brought in to, uh, what's the word in English, you know, to shake things up, to, to you know, um, breathe new life into a club and a team that had become a bit stale, um, you know, this seems so long ago now, but it was really the team was lumbering and overaged, um, and everybody wanted, felt that you needed a change here. And in a way, this happened again last year. Um, you know, as, as much as everybody loves Klopp, and as much as the players, you know, were, how, how shall we say, were willing to follow him for a very long time. It, it had become a bit stale, a bit predictable, and so um, so that that was the right moment to you know to 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 change things and stir things up. So it sounds almost like uh, not just stale but sort of tired because um, Klopp is such an intense guy. Could that be uh, could that be a reason as well? Yeah, yeah. well, you, you probably but it's more mental fatigue than physical fatigue. That's because. It is true that right now the way the team is playing is not quite as taxing and strenuous as it was under Klopp. Um, um, but at the same time, one of the great things about the season is what many people forget is that um, it's not just that Dortmund are technically playing the best season in club history. <laughs> you know, if you know if Bayern weren't so otherworldly, 
they would probably win the league. <laughs> it's also that, that they're doing this, although they have played more games than anyone else. You know, they've went all the way to the Euroleague qualifiers and, and they, they, they've lost so many games. Uh, and still, they, they quite often seem, still seem fresh, you know, not always. There have been some games of late and the first half yesterday was a bit subdued. But, um, but by and large, they still look fresh. Um, so it might have been more mental fatigue than, than actually physical fatigue. Although, you know, everybody says that, you know, Klopp's, Klopp's pressing game is, is very taxing, um, which it is. But still, these players have, you know, played so many games this season and still seem so fresh. But it's probably just, you know, the mental aspect is very important. And maybe they just needed that stimulus and, and needed the an impulse, the, the the feeling that here's something new and we're going to try something different and we start from scratch. So um, that certainly played a role, yes. How did you... I mean, Liverpool were arguably the better side last week against uh, Dortmund. How do you see Tuchel tweaking his side to, to combat that this week? Um... Well, you, you mean tactically or in terms of personnel? Yeah, I think I think I think tactically. Yeah. Yeah, I think that. I think that after the game, Klopp was um, sorry. <laughs> 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 you know, the funny thing is, people over here. Is, um, um, I sometimes will say to my wife, "Oh, there's the coach on television." And she <laughs> would say, "Which one?" <laughs> and, and actually, more often than not, I'm usually talking about Klopp. It's probably that <laughs> Liverpool on television or something. <laughs> So, you know, so Klopp is still the coach and Tuchel is, you know, Tuchel. It's a bit like ACDC, you know, where the guy who replaced Bon Scott was the new one for like 25 years or whatever. <laughs> um, I think after the game, Tuchel was quite self-critical and maybe more self-critical than he had reason to be. He said, you know, maybe there had been too much input from him, too much information about the other team. And his side had felt a bit, you know, not a bit subdued. They weren't entirely free. Um, I, I think personally, I, w- I was at the ground, and there was just this tremendous build-up to the game. And the, cl- I mean, I'm, I'm now I'm talking about the fans, right? About the atmosphere at the ground. And the closer it got to the game, um, the more tired you felt. You know, even before the game had even started, because you thought, "God, we've been talking about this for like weeks and weeks and weeks, and we've been excited yesterday." And we were excited this morning and all through the afternoon. We probably have been drinking a few beers. <laughs> and God, this is the Europa League, you know. These games never start, you know. It's only 8 o'clock. We still have an hour to go. So by the time the game actually kicked off, you know, some people have remarked on that after the game that the atmosphere wasn't, it was good, but not quite as cracking as everybody had thought. And I think that played a role. And I think it may have had an effect on the team. You know, it, there is just the the circumstances and and the what shall I say enormity of the event. I think had gotten a bit to the team, and th- this will not be the case, of course, on Thursday. So, I think it will be almost the same teams and almost the same tactics. I mean, if, if Dortmund had scored a second goal, I would have been very optimistic. But now it's it's really it's 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 fifty fifty, I think, and 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 you know, Klopp will. We'll see no reason, you know, to to come at Dortmund. So um, it's pretty much I expect the same match all over again, though maybe uh, and not with the same result. And of course, they they have uh, Gundogan 
probably back on the pitch um, for that game as well. But um, you just mentioned the otherworldly Bayern, um, who obviously have uh, have grinded out results in recent weeks. Um, do you feel those uh, they are also a bit tired now, or, um, or or what's your sort of thinking ahead of the match against Benfica? Yeah, the, the strange thing is that um, well, there's a few strange things about Bayern. Um, one thing that we've also forgotten, I think, ever since Pep Guardiola came in, is that it, you know it's it's not normal what they're doing. You know, they've always had seasons where they were totally dominating and they were playing great football, but you know, this would not go on forever and ever. You know, they would have their off-seasons. And the rule in Germany used to be that Bayern would win the league. And then, after the second title, they'll concentrate on the Champions League and have an off-year. And then it's anybody's game, you know. Then even Wolfsburg or Stuttgart can win the league. But that doesn't seem to happen anymore, you know. They just keep on winning and winning. Um, so that's that's what I meant, you know, by other world. It's not just the talent. It's just... You know, the way they don't have to seem to have an off day anymore. This is really uncanny. Um, and um, and the other thing is that in the last, ever since Pep came in, the seasons have all, always followed, you know, the same pattern. They were tremendous in the first half of the season. They were setting record after record. Then some of the injuries kept piling up. Then they went a bit stale after the end of the winter break. And they, they would still win and still win the league, but not be quite a thrilling anymore and they would suddenly go out in the Champions League so that's been the story of the past two years and I think well right now it looks as if the same is happening again um, you said they've been grinding out results and then there's some truth to that they're not no longer as I said they're no longer as thrilling as they used to be um, it, it's been only one really amazing game that was the Juventus game and that was probably as much down to Juventus as it was you know down to Bayern that this was such a thrilling game. Uh, having said that, um, e even though most people were disappointed, um, well, well, one 0 is a very good result in Europe, and uh, they, they should really go through. A uh, quick, a quick word before we let you go, Uli. On Wolfsburg, Schürrle said they'll be at a hundred million percent and that they'll run for their lives. Do you think that's going to be enough? <laughs> I mean, this is this could be quite interesting because this is now a fifty-fifty game. Uh, you know, it used to be a I don't know, <laughs> I don't know what the odds were, but, um, but somehow that first leg had has made it a fifty-fifty game. Um, because I mean, you, you know, the, the players, strangely enough, uh, seemed quite optimistic. Um, I say strangely enough because you know, normally after such a game, you would face the cameras and say. Yes, it's two nil. It's a good result, but we know it's still an uphill struggle and everything. But they all said, "Well, we now have a good chance of going through," which, of course, would be the case after two nil against almost every other team, except maybe you know Bayern, Barcelona, and Real. And whereas most of the pundits seem to think that they don't really know what they're in for, you know, Dortmund won four one a few years back, and then almost you know got knocked out in the return leg at the Bernabeu because. You know, if, if these guys really get rolling and are really into the game, um, they're very hard to stop. Kasper, all three German teams going through. Do you see it? I see Bayern going through. I think they're gonna gonna win in Lisbon. Um, I 
somehow don't see Wolfsburg going through. I'm worried. Um, I'm worried for Wolfsburg because I agree with Oli. You know, once they get going, um, Real and and they're going to be angry now. Um, and I think some of the Wolfsburg guys are going to feel the pressure. You know, in the game they haven't experienced yet. Um, Liverpool, Dortmund is a very hard one to call. Um, I actually think Liverpool are going to go through because Klopp just knows so much about us all. He he just knows it inside out and. I think he's going to outfox uh, his successor. You know, it's. Uh, you think they'll be able to stop Aubameyang twice? Yeah, I think so. I mean, he has been stopped by other defenders. Um, Lovren can do it. Or Sacco can do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to see Dortmund go through, but um, I think Liverpool are going to are going to win it. Yeah. Well, I agree. Bayern is going through. Um, I also agree with Liverpool. I think Liverpool and Klopp <clears throat> will beat Dortmund at home. Um, but where I disagree is I think Wolfsburg, they don't have anything to lose. They're in a position that they didn't think they would be in. This is a bonus for them. And even though they might be thinking they can go through, I don't think they'll be feeling pressure. So I think if they can grab a goal, I don't see Madrid scoring four goals against them. As good as Madrid is... I just don't see it happening, Paddy. Yeah, for me, I think I think Bayern, um, Real Madrid, and I, I really liked Uli's point on the change of venue for for this Dortmund um, Liverpool game. Basically, the, the directors are the same, the cast is the same, but the stage is different, and I think that could make a huge difference because um, as much as this was built up as a game of interest in the UK, it was ten times greater interest here in in Germany and now that's changed the spotlight is definitely a lot dimmer and I think that could be the difference for Dortmund on Thursday well how long have you got because you've got a have you got like work and proper proper meetings and that sort of thing yeah probably about 20 minutes oh we'll just we'll we'll hold you for about 10 or so yeah no worries great Joining us on the line to talk about all things Atletico Madrid is Nick Poskett from Atletico fans. Nick, another win for Atletico, another defeat for Barcelona at the weekend. There's six games left and just three points between the two sides in the league. Uh, how optimistic will Diego Simeone and his players feel about their chances of eventually possibly taking the title? You know, I think that the tide has definitely turned a little bit. I think with, with Barcelona, how they've played the last couple of games... I think they've dropped eight points at the last possible nine in the league. So they're, they're not looking great. However, what you need to remember with La Liga is that it's not done on goal difference. It's done on head-to-head. So unfortunately, Barca have got a better head-to-head record than us, which effectively makes it four points. And with with six games left, you know, their next game is against Valencia. I think Simeone's very much going to be taking it game by game. So partido a partido as you may have heard. And I think with the Champions League game coming up, I think that's going to be in the, the forefront of everyone's mind going into this week, especially. Speaking of the Champions League game, there's going to be no Fernando Torres after that sending off in this last match. Uh, he's three goals in his last three games as well as an assist or two. Um, how much will he be missed? Well, do you know what? I think if you'd have said a couple of weeks ago that Torres would be suspended for a game, it wouldn't have been that big a deal. I mean, yeah, he's an icon. Yeah, everyone loves him here. But I think that given what he's been offering, especially before, let's say, February time, um, it wouldn't have been too much of an issue. But the last couple of games, he's come into his own. He's been the Torres of old. He's got three goals in three games. And I think he will be a key miss ahead of the the game uh, at the Calderon. But I think what's more important is that Koke is available. And and Koke is kind of 
come to the front at the same time as Torres. Kegger's got you know two assists in the last game against Espanyol, and yeah, he'll he'll miss Fernando Torres up front, but I'm sure that away goal will put us in good stead and give us the best possible opportunity to to keep moving forward and make the draw on Friday. Is Torres being inspired by the possibility of your contract? You know, I think so, and I think if you know the story of. Fernando Torres and his situation with Atletico. I mean, he's not an Atletico player at the moment. He's on loan from AC Milan. And although that contract's set to expire in the, the summer, we told Torres in oh, January that, well, Simeone told Torres that he wasn't part of his plans for the next season. Um, that was potentially a mistake then in, in the eyes of the fans. But we said, you know what? If you can turn it around, if you can play better, if you can put the shift in, there's the potential that you can be offered a new contract. And over the last couple of days, Simeone hinted in the media that that's something the club are going to be looking to do. However, you may all remember there's a transfer ban looming over the heads of Atletico and, and Real Madrid especially. So we might not potentially get given the opportunity to register Fernando Torres. So although now the... You know, people are optimistic that he can stay and that he'll be Atletico for the rest of his career. I think that a lot of it depends on what happens with FIFA over the next few months. Nick, just on, on that transfer ban and, and sort of tying it into the future of Simeone, actually, um, there's, I guess, what we would say regular um, rumours that he's the target of certain other uh, big clubs around Europe. How much of an effect do you think that transfer ban might have on his future, and how close do you think he is um, to sort of, I guess, either tying himself to the to the club long term or potentially looking at other opportunities? Well, I think he did tie himself to the club long term with his last contract extension. You know, it was less than twelve months ago. He signed to twenty twenty, um, and I think at that point it was it was known that Simeone had probably the most control that any Atletico managers had at the club in in a good number of decades. So. I think he's happy where he is. I think, yes, you know, there potentially is a, is a ban coming, but he bought well over the summer. He bought young players that could come in and perform. Um, Luciano Vieto, Angel Correa, um, you know, Matthias Kranovitter from, from River. So he's buying young players that will, will put us in good stead for the ban. And I think that Simeone's plan has always been to stay at Atletico Madrid for the new stadium, which is coming. Um, not next season, but the season after we, we should potentially move in, touch wood. So I think he'll want to be there for that. I think that there's been a couple of rumours, obviously about Chelsea, about Arsenal. And I think, you know, in the last couple of weeks, he, Simeone even said himself he'd love to manage Inter one day. But do you know what? For now, he's at Atletico. We've got work to do. And I think that he's very much enjoying the, the challenge that, you know, the Champions League is, is giving us, as well as the league. Obviously, it's not, it's not over yet. How are you? Um, how are you expecting Simeone to set up the side against Barcelona? Will they see position possession, sit deep, and look to hit Barca on the break, or do you expect them to be a bit more attacking than that? Well, I think they were more attacking than many thought they would be at the Camp Nou on on Tuesday. I think with Fernando Torres up front, they paired him with Griezmann. They also had Carrasco, that's good at attacking and getting down that wing. But I think what Simeone's been doing a lot against Barcelona is packing the midfield through full of defensive midfielders. So people like Gabi, um, you know, Augusto Fernandez, Saul. So I think it will be interesting to see what he does. I think all of the fans, given how enthusiastic they are for this game and you may have seen all the, the banners that are going up, I think potentially we'd want to see him go more attacking and play Vieto and Carrasco as well. But 
I think potentially we could go a bit more defensive. But do you know what? We've got the away goal. We need to win. So I think it might be a mistake. I think he needs to lean on the attack, uh, lean on the lean on the good players he's got, especially people like Correa, and you know, snatch that win, which we've been chasing against Barcelona for quite some time. Uh, Koke was speaking after the win at the weekend, and he's um, he said that he and his teammates believe they can they can turn it around and and beat Barca. Are you as confident as as he is? I think, given that this, given the situation that we're in, I think that we're Barca are our main enemy at the moment. Obviously, we're chasing down the league, and we've got them in the Champions League. I think if we perform how we know we can play, then absolutely we can do it. I think with Barcelona, they've looked tired against um, Real Sociedad. Um, but then again, I was at the Camp Nou last week and I saw the first 10 minutes of that second half and they felt like the longest 10 minutes of my life. So I think if we keep 11 men on the field and we play the way that Simeone wants us to play and we can get the service up front, then I'm in no doubt that we can do it. OK, before we let you go, can we get a final prediction? Do you know, I think I'm going to go with a 1-0 win and I'm going to go with a goal from Griezmann, it has to be. Um, that goal will take us through, puts in the draw on Friday. And, you know, as long as Letico fans never stop believing, I think we're in a very, very good situation. Nick seems confident about that, about Atletico getting through. I'm not sure I'd be so confident. Well, Barcelona is in a rough patch of form. Messi as well. He hasn't scored in something like 362 minutes. But... Then again, it is Barcelona. And if anyone can bounce back and perform in the Champions League, it's Barcelona. So I see Barcelona scoring. And I think that Barcelona have beaten them, I think, already two or three times already this season. Exactly. It's kind of like in German, you'd say Angstgegner, you know? It's their... It's their bogey team. Bogey team. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Bogey team. Yeah. Paddy? Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm a bit on the fence on this one. It's a bit hard to predict for me. I think it's just great to have a, a game at this point of the Champions League that uh, that is between two teams who are also battling in the league, you know. So it's not like uh, we saw with Dortmund yesterday against Schalke, um, having played a, ostensibly a B team, if you will, be able to rest a few players with an eye on Europe. Neither of these two teams can afford to do that because it's the Champions League and the league at stake. Yeah, I think um, what he was saying about um, Simeone lining up compact defensive midfields and so on. I think that that could be a key against Barcelona, a physical approach to the game. And as a Bayern supporter, of course, I'd love Atletico to go through because Barcelona is probably the only team who can who can beat Bayern pretty easily as well. So, um, yeah, I'm I'm glad Barcelona and are in a difficult run of form at the moment and seem to be a bit tired. Uh, that's all from us today. We're all off to talk about whether we would rather be vampires or werewolves. But my thanks to Paddy, Fabian, Casper, Nick, and Uli, as well as our producer Damien. Go to the App Store, download the OneFootball app and be sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. You can also hit us up on Twitter, Facebook and SoundCloud at OneFootball. Bye. Bye.